Welcome to Brave. Be inspired by the best leaders of Southeast Asia tech. Build the future, learn from our past, and stay human in between. I'm Jeremy Ao, a VC founder and father. Join us for transcripts, analysis, and community at www.jeremyao.com. Nat is an investment associate at Monks Hill Ventures, a venture capital firm investing in early stage tech companies, primarily Series A in Southeast Asia. She is based in Thailand and is responsible for deal sourcing and execution, investment analysis, and portfolio management. With a strong passion for financial inclusion, Nat brings in a decade of experience in fintech, capital markets, and macroeconomics from Thailand. Prior to joining Monks Hill Ventures, she spearheaded fintech and blockchain investments at Beacon Venture Capital, a corporate venture arm of Thailand's top three largest banks. Prior to that, Nat advised corporate and SME clients on financial management and hedging strategies at K Bank. She was also an economist at the Bank of Thailand, where she contributed to the setup of Southeast Asia's $240 billion reserve fund. Nat graduated with an MBA from Kellogg School of Management, Northwestern University. Hey, Nat. Good to see you again. Hi, Jeremy. Good to see you. Well, uh, for everybody out there, I'm really excited to share uh, Nat's journey. She's someone that I work with and actually had heard of before I joined the uh, Monk Seal Ventures. And so I'm excited to go deeper and share your personal journey with all the folks out there. Yeah, lovely to be here. And, you know, if there's any questions on the floor or how I can be helpful in sharing my story and answer your questions, would love to do that. So Nat, for those who don't know you yet, you know, walk us through. So, you know, you grew up in Thailand and then what happened? So, you know, university, walk us through from the beginning across your professional career. Yeah, so I was born and raised in Thailand, never really studied abroad. There was only one time when I studied abroad, which was when I was 16. Um, I spent a year in South Africa, but that was about it. So I graduated undergrad and then started my career at the Central Bank um, of Thailand. And during that time, I got really interested in the financial inclusion space because it was, was one of the projects that I worked there. And after working on, at, on the policy level work, doing mostly economics and research work, I kind of figured the policymaking work was not for me. It was super high level and the impact of your work was multi-year. So I knew that I wanted to do something around financial inclusion and also be closer to people. So I decided to move to a commercial bank in Thailand, one of the top three largest bank here called Gasikon Bank, and joined their capital market business. So I got to use my economics training to forecast interest rate and FX rate in order to provide recommendations to small and big companies on how they can hitch their financial exposure. So I really loved the job. It was super dynamic. Every day was so different. But after a few years, it started to feel repetitive. So I kind of give a thought on what I wanted to do next. And I wasn't sure on um, which career path I wanted to go. So I decided to do what most people do, which is go to an MBA school to kind of figure yourself out. And so I decided to go to Kellogg and spend two years there. And during that time, I got exposed to fintech area and um, started interning at few venture capital funds, including one in Thailand and a few in Silicon Valley, for example, Pantera Capital, which is one of the top three most active blockchain funds in the world and 500 startup fintech funds. So that kind of highlighted to me personally that I really like the job. And so after I graduated, I came back to Thailand and pursued my career in venture capital, started at Beacon Venture, which is a corporate arm of K-Bank. And now I have recently moved to Mongsil, uh, which is a regional venture fund or investing in early stage companies across Southeast Asia. And that's how I met Jeremy, our lovely host today. Yeah, uh, us in the VC world. In fact, you know, I think I really first heard about you coming in from Paul Veritikit, who is uh, you know, another Thai person in San Francisco doing blockchain and was a podcast guest of mine. And we was catching up and then it turned out we were like, oh, like he was like, Nat is coming and she's really smart and really good. <laughs> and I was like, and I was like, oh, that's great. I, I, I would love to meet you know, Nat real soon. <laughs> and so I was like, 
And I was like, like you know, it's funny, right? Because I was like such a small wall, right? You know, uh, because I knew him because he was at UC Berkeley with me. I didn't know you guys go way back. Just alumni, not like not buddies that played beer pong together or anything. Right, right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really excited to sh- talk about this. So, you know, I think let's talk about, you know, you grew up in Thailand. Was there a moment in time in your, when you were in Thailand where you were like, oh, I would like to explore and go overseas? Is that, is that what happened? Or how did you say something like, I would like to explore the States? I always wanted to study abroad. And the only way I could do that during high school was to find myself a scholarship to go for an exchange program in, in South Africa. And during university, I was applying to a few schools and um, trying to get a scholarship to go study abroad. But then the process wasn't really systematic and I didn't know what I was doing. So I ended up going to a university in Thailand. So it was always been on the back of my mind. Until I graduated uni, I kind of started a career at the central bank and everyone was who worked there for like one or two years, they eventually go and study abroad in the UK um, and pursue their master's. And that was the time when I thought to myself, what was the right plan for me? Because I knew that I didn't really like economics. And I knew that I wanted to continue doing a business program. So it was like, oh, if you want to continue being an employee or work in a corporate or, you know, um, get a professional career, I really do need to get a master's degree because that's all Asians do, right? And so I figured the right way for me would be an MBA rather than, you know, an MS in economics or finance. So I planned to go to an MBA, let's say from the start of my career at the central banks. It was like a multi-year planning process where I knew that I needed funding. So I figured the best way to do that was to get a scholarship from the corporates in Thailand, like banks and K-Bank was giving out scholarship. And I planned to like, how the steps that I needed to get there by like, uh, for example, taking CFA, um, working on volunteer, and then eventually I joined KBank. That was more serendipity. But at the end, the plan kind of worked out over like five years since the start of my career to the day that I got the scholarship and actually went to Kellogg. Amazing. You know, I think it's kind of similar to me, right? I mean, I studied economics undergrad and I was like, whoa, 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 maybe I shouldn't be an economist. So <laughs> and then uh, I don't blame you, man. <laughs> I actually wanted to be as a in high school. I wanted to be a vaccine researcher, and then in university, actually, my plan was to be a uh, go into vaccine strategy. So I wanted to join Gates Foundation, but the Gates Foundation wasn't accepting non-Americans, unfortunately. Bridge Bank Group, which does a lot of work with them, doesn't accept non-Americans either. So I had to go with my third choice which turned out to be Bain Consulting, right? Uh, and then I went in, and then similar to you, I went in and I was like, whoa, 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 like, like you said, every Asian. I was like, I don't think I'm going to make partner in this company. So I should explore an MBA, right? Because it's an acceptable off-ramp, you know? So I totally get where you're coming from. Could you share a little bit more about, obviously, you know, you went on, you know, you got your offer. What was it like flying out, I guess? You know, were you excited? Were you scared? Were you nervous? What, do you remember that flight out to hit out your first day on campus? Yeah, I still remember. It was. It felt like dream come true, you know, because I was working on it for like five years. And I think MBA, MBA at Kellogg, they did a really good job at preparing for you to go to campus because before we leave Thailand, we have this alumni get together where the alumni would meet the new incoming student. And that um, we got to ask a lot of questions from them. And I see one of our alum here, Paul Ark as well, um, in the audience. He, uh, I met him right before I went to Kilau when he was taking a sabbatical in Thailand. And I think I, I kind of knew what I was getting into, but you know, I still felt very excited on the flight there. And I didn't, there's like this whole new world that I haven't explored. So I was super excited about it. Yeah, I remember that too. It was like a dream come true. I think that's a good phrase that you use there. You know, and then I think we'll just like to talk a little bit more. So, okay, so you entered the MBA and you knew that you were not going to go back to becoming a central bank slash economist role, right? <laughs> what were you thinking in terms of geography? What were you thinking in terms of industry? Like, walk us through that process. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, so I took a scholarship from K-Bank to go to an MBA school because my family couldn't support me. And I knew that I had to come back to the bank. So I, it's like uh, this typing where uh, usually corporate would give out scholarship and you do your two year or one year of studying and you come back and you are bonded by that company for a, for a certain period of time. So I knew I was going to come back. Um, yeah, that was the plan. And then that changed, right? So what happened? <laughs> <laughs> so go on so you had that plan and then obviously we know that that didn't happen based on what you just shared professionally so what happened you were like what you were like were you walking around campus and then suddenly the light you know the, the skies opened up and then you were like oh i'm going to do something else like you know like what happened yeah honestly first year of mba was really confusing i don't know if you felt this but I was looking around, exploring different career paths, tried consulting for a while, uh, tried to get an internship in consulting, didn't get it. And I think that was a reflection moment for me. It gave me kind of a push to really think of what I really want to do because I went into MBA, I wanted to do something around fintech, wanted to make something that's tangible. And I thought consulting was going to be it because you know, there's a structured process and you get to work with um, executive at banks or financial institutions and things like that. So it felt sort of feasible, whereas I thought about VC as well starting uh, when I was starting the process of recruiting and people kept telling me that VC is impossible, um, especially for non-Americans in America. So I kind of pursued consulting for a while, but I ended up did not get an internship. So I reflected on what I really wanted to do and I thought that I wanted to give a shot in VC. So I reached out to Paul Art here in the audience and he took me in for a, an internship. And so during the first year and second year, I came back to Thailand to uh, work at a corporate VC arm that focuses on fintech investing with Paul. And during that time, I really loved it because the first project that I do was ICO back in 2017 uh, when it was just uh, getting hot. The research was about how it would impact capital market across the world and how um, companies would raise funds. And the more I dig into it, the more I got interested in the blockchain and crypto space. So after I got back to my second year at Kellogg in the US, I applied to a Kellogg program where they place students into a small group to study in San Francisco, which is our, our satellite office. So I went there in um, like January 2018 and started looking for internship by cold calling Paul. And I just like LinkedIn message him and Paul Vera did ticket, which uh, you talked to a partner at Pantera. So I LinkedIn message him asking him for an internship and he was kind enough to reply and took me in. And that's how I got into Pantera. And I think that period in San Francisco was a life changing moment because I got to work with these like amazing partner and I was literally working seven days a week and just to like look at a lot of deals that went through Paul's desk. And it was super interesting because that was like the peak time of blockchain for the last bubble, right? So it was really active. So after a few months in San Francisco, I really knew that I wanted to be in VC. And that time, um, luckily, K Bank, which is the bank that sponsored me for my MBA school, they started to set up their VC fund as well. So after graduation, I kind of have this kind of big decision to make whether or not I wanted to stay in the US and pursue my career in San Francisco, which is what I really wanted to do, or go back home to kind of finish my bond, basically. So I tried to negotiate with the bank because as an MBA student, uh, you have like one year of OPT visa where you can stay in the US without having to go through the lottery process. So I negotiated with the bank, wrote up a proposal, talked to my negotiation professor, um, and tried to get myself to stay one year longer. But then the bank disagreed and um, I had to come back to Thailand. So I started my career back in Thailand right after graduation at their VC fund. And I was in depression for a while, didn't want to come back really, but then kind of like talked myself through it and really made peace with the fact that I have to be back. And then uh, two and a half years later, I just been working at Beacon VC and really loved the experience, um, helped them make a few investments in fintech space and kind of 
found my way to Mount Hill because I felt that I like VC job, but then I didn't want the limitation of being in a strategic VC, and I wanted to get a broader exposure of VC space. So I decided to move from K Bank to Mount Hill, which is another uphill battle because there was a lot of negotiation on how to settle my bond. Basically, so it was like very dramatic over this past few years. Wow, what an amazing story! Because I know I love it, right? I mean, you couldn't get into consulting, which is a lot of Southeast Asians in the MBA programs look at consulting as a quality premium job to go after. And then you got the harder one, which is VC, which is harder than consulting. So uh, hats off to you, actually. And then you know you you had this really interesting, very similar set of stories, right? I mean, you know, in this audience and a lot of the listeners out there, there are many like you know sea turtles, you know. Like, I'm looking at David, for example, as part of the audience. He's a you know, Stanford MBA, also kind of like going through some similar dynamics. Um, but you know, you're just making a decision about you know, whether to double down in a career in the States or to build it out back home, right, in Southeast Asia, right? So tell us more a little, and obviously, you know, hats off again to you for negotiating every stage of the way. I have many friends on bonds, and it's, that's another topic altogether, maybe more for closed doors. <laughs> yeah. So I'd love to kind of get deeper in this one, right? So you made a decision to come back, right? You know, obviously the bond was a big part of it, and so forth. What were you thinking? Like, what was your feel? What were you feeling? You know, like because every sea turtle kind of feels the same thing, right? Which is they're in the states, they're enjoying their life, and they have to make a decision to go back to Southeast Asia, right? So do you do you remember any conversations? How who did you talk to to discuss this decision? What were you thinking? What were you doing? Were you, you know, walking around a lot? <laughs> there were many tears involved, um, in fact. And I think the biggest question that was going through my mind was the fact that had I not come back, then there was going to be a big financial consequence because I was going to break my bond, right? And so I thought about a career that I would have in the U.S. versus in Southeast Asia. What tipped the scale was that can't really take that much of a financial burden back then to break the bond. And I think coming back and working at a VC fund for a top bank in Thailand wasn't so bad. Um, and it was one of the way that I could achieve my career goal, which is providing uh, financial and capital for uh, amazing entrepreneurs to build their company as well. So whether I do it in San Francisco or in, in Asia, that wouldn't be much different. The only difference that I thought was material was the fact that in San Francisco, I get to work with amazing people and that, would, that was going to be a lot of learning opportunity for me. Whereas in Asia, it would have to, I, I really don't know what the space was like back then because VC space in Thailand was very nascent. So it was more of a kind of making peace with the fact that one, financially, that was it wasn't going to make sense. And two, I can still achieve my career goal no matter where I was. And thirdly, it was just that I would have to just be more scrappy in terms of how I learn and grow in this career and figure it out in the future. It was more of a risk that I didn't know what I was getting into in Asia, whereas I knew what was in San Francisco already. So yeah, so I think those three factors altogether kind of um, helped me make that decision. Wow, that's really real. Thanks for sharing that. I think that feels exactly like all my other, you know, MBA friends who were bonded back to their consulting firms or back to the government or back to whatever. You know, it's a, it's a common dynamic, right? It's like the big question is like, without this sponsorship, it was impossible to go, you know? And so the question is now do we break it, right? You know, so it's a very awkward conversation to have. Yeah. And I also think though that um, a lot of Asians, particularly Thai people, I think we're not we're not used to the fact that students can take out student loans, which is very common in the U.S. For Thailand, or at least for me, I thought there was a bit of a stigma to it. I think back in the days when I was deciding whether or not to take the scholarship or to take out loans, it was like this fear of like the unknown of like, if you take loans, then will I be able to find a job? Will I get a visa? Will I be able to pay back? It was a lot of like uncertainty, which made me not taking that decision. So it kind of helped me shape my thinking when I came back and I worked at Beacon for a few years when I was thinking what was the right next move uh, for me to make. And I decided to take a leap and leave the bank 
pay back my loans and pay back my settlement and my bond and then uh, join Monsil because I wanted to take that risk and I don't want to play it safe like I did before. You know what I mean? Wow. That you, said, said, you just said two things that were really interesting, right? I mean, the first thing you said was Asians, uh, which is very true, by the way, don't really understand the trade-off between loans versus the bond, right? Especially because, you know, now, and I agree with you, I think now that I'm more sophisticated, I'm like, oh, student loans are actually pretty cheap, you know, in terms of the way they're structured versus a bond, right? I mean, obviously, they have their pros and cons. There's definitely a lot of stigma around the loan side that is not justified if you look at the economic reality. The fact that we're talking about the MBA, right, which is, you know, normally pushes us into better paying jobs, right, than we had before, right? I mean, I think it would be different if you're doing a trade school for a different vocation, right? And then I think the calculus is a bit different. And then the second thing that you said that was really interesting was like your personal evolution from, you know, deciding to take on more risk, right? And that's a very like intentional choice that takes time. And I just thought that was a really interesting piece because, you know, because I'm curious, right? Like, how did you feel like you felt more comfortable taking more risk? Was it because you crunched the numbers on yourself? Was it because you got to see some great people like Paul and other folks? make similar tr- trade-offs. How did you, I guess, make that decision intentionally to take on more risk? It was a tough decision because I kept going back and forth between like security and like taking a leap of faith. I think it comes down to the fact that time is very limited. I think in life, like you can always make more money, but you can't get that time, right? You can have more time. And I don't know why, but I operate in a sense that there's a sense of urgency all the time. So I wanted to be in a place where I can grow the fastest and be in a place where there's resources for me to learn from and to kind of shadow and learn from people who I work with. I know that I learn best from shadowing people. And back in San Francisco day, I was like, learning so much because I got to shadow um, Paul Verditic and, and Shil Monad at um, 500 Startup. And I knew that that was the best approach that I learned. So coming back here and is making that decision, it was one, the time element that you'll never get back time. And I want to be in a place where I can grow the fastest and be at the right uh, place to kind of push forward my career. And two, It's just knowing yourself and how you best operate as a person. For me, it was about observing and shadowing people. And so I wanted to be in a place where I can do that. And lastly, just having a lot of conviction in yourself. Because now I feel that if I don't make it in this career, it's me who I can blame. And it's like I can't blame other people anymore because I'm taking a leap of faith in myself. So I'm just placing bets on myself, which is super hard. I think the last part was the toughest thing to to make a decision on because I like I'm not that confident in my ability, but I kind of want to see how far I can go and without like being able to blame it on other people or the circumstances. I love what you just said, right? Like, you know, you're owning the consequences, right? Which is super terrifying. But it's also, I don't know, it 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 lets you have that growth, right? Because, you know, there's no one else there, right? I mean and it's something that you're right, I didn't, you know, until you shared it, you know, yeah, you're right. Because in some ways you started out with the bank and then you've been, your life has been with the bank all the way till 2020, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was like super safe. It's like the safest life you can have. Yeah, I, I didn't realize that. I know. And compared, like, compared to you when you like started your own company and like this, all these things, it's like super brave, I feel. Thank you. I mean, it's still terrifying uh, from year to year. I could tell you that. That's interesting, right? Because I remember like, you know, I, when I was graduating from UC Berkeley and I remember I told my professor and I said, okay, you know, I've decided and I know what my life for the next few years is going to be. Uh, I'm going to go to Bain for the next few years. Then I'd like to do a second month at, you know, Gates Foundation, maybe along the way. And then I'm going to do like an MBA, but then I don't know what else is out there for me. And then I remember the professor was like staring at me and she's like, okay, clearly you've planned out the next like four to five years of your life. <laughs> and, and she's like, yeah, you don't need to plan more than that even. Like, 
don't feel bad that you haven't planned out your whole life. Like four to five years is pretty good for a senior. You know, most people haven't even figured out their jobs or whatever it is or whatever it is. And then she was also like, yeah, and Jeremy, like, maybe you should have more serendipity in your life, you know? And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know, it's just like, what is this thing called serendipity? <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And then, but it was something that stuck with me a little bit. I still, you know, I remember it from time to time, right? I ended up not doing the thing I thought I was going to do. I ended up not staying at Bain or as long as I thought I would. Yeah, so why, why was that the case? Like, what helped you make that decision to take the, the path that was not what you envisioned yourself? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Nat has an amazing podcast as well. I'm sorry, I'm hijacking your <laughs> moderator <laughs> position. <laughs> it's at uh, theventurejourney.com. So she, she's also a great guest and uh, interviewer as well. So, uh, but I will answer the question. You know, I think the first thing was, you know, I, and I talk about, sometimes I talk about in terms of the floor versus the ceiling, right? You know, like the, the hygiene factors versus the, the actuals. I think a big part of it was, I think that when I went to Bain, it both created both a ceiling and a floor. And okay, the reason why I went to Bain was because I applied to Gates Foundation, got rejected. I applied to uh, Bridgespan Group. And I got rejected. So Bain was my third choice, uh, which always surprises a lot of folks as well. And I, the reason why I applied was because I had been part of a social impact consulting club. And there was this person, uh, she was a great, you know, she was a senior, I think. And then she, she was coaching me and managing me a little bit in the, you know, the university undergrad club. And she went to Bain and I was like, whoa, she went to Bain. And then years later, she went to Harvard, you know. And so I was like, oh, she's cool. She's like, she's like an achievable role model does it make sense like you, you know it wasn't like one of those like massive harvard mbas or whatever it was you know it was like this person's just like three years ahead of me right and then i went to have to bain and it changed my life because there are so many folks coming back from an mba does it make sense like harvard stanford kellogg and Seattle. so there was a floor in that sense but there was also an implicit understanding in the company and there was like an internal portal to talk about the MBA process in terms of the application and stuff like that. So there's like internal knowledge sharing, right? And so it created a floor where the moment that happened and I did my internship at Bain, it made me not have a bond. It doesn't make sense, right? So I think, and I think there's a big difference between you and me and that, right? It's like, I never had, I didn't have a bond, right? I was lucky enough to take out a, a function of loans and family money was able to get me through undergrad. And then I went to this, yeah, I mean, and so I was able to not have that dimension of the bond if that makes sense which was i think not only a visible gain in the short term in terms of education but also a visible potential loss to break it but also it's the first option if that makes sense right it's like it's the alternative that all things are being compared against right whereas for me it was like the moment i did that bain internship without the bond my base case was always going to be stay at bain <laughs> you know does it make sense like everything else felt like upside right like setting up a social enterprise and bootstrapping it felt like an exploration exercise, right? You know, doing a Harvard MBA, that felt like upside, right? You know, so my flaw was a nice flaw that didn't have any potential loss. The reason why I share that is, you know, obviously I can share some of this airy-fairy thing about, you know, like be fearless and, you know, drink, I don't know. <laughs> I was going to ionize waters. I don't know, something like that to become more fearless. But I think being fearless is also being privileged or an intention slash intentional or function of both enough to create an environment where you don't have that fear, right? Which is what something that you did, right? I mean, you made a decision to take the bond and then you made a decision to be intentional about exploring whether you should break the bond <laughs> by exploring it via different internships and getting different other folks to mentor you and coach you. And then you got enough information to feel justified that it was worth getting out of it and exploring a new role, right? I honestly think if you ask me, I think you probably had a more courageous arc because you were both intentional and savvy enough to figure out whether to do it or not. Because I know other friends who are still in their bonds, right? Forever, right? Effectively. Whether it's a bond to uh, the government or it's a bond to Bain or McKinsey or BCG. And it's that default path and they were never um, intentional or savvy enough to get the certainty to break it, right? You know, and do something else. So I think that, I think you did something really amazing here. 
Yeah, but also I think it's a function of what's important in your life too. I think some people value family, some people value work, and some people might value money, for example. And I think each of us operate in different way uh, based on what we value most in life. And for me, it's just no family right now. So work is something that's really important for me. And it's always been the case. So that's why I think I made that decision. Whereas other people might have a different mental model and different value. So I wouldn't say this is a path for everyone, but at least it was the right one for me. Wow, you said something really true, right? Which is that I really resonate with that, which is people have different priorities, right? And I know many folks who took the bond and they prioritize family and stability and so, so forth. Or they like the firm, right? And so they keep going. And that's totally great. And I'm super supportive of them and I love them. And I think, like you said, there's a lot of people like you, Nat, who eventually, you know, did something else, right? I think the tricky part is always the folks in the middle, right? The people who hang out <laughs> with us and say they want to get out or explore something else, but then they're not taking the actions for whatever set of reasons needed for them to get out of it, right? Which is the, honestly, the worst of both worlds, right? You, you know, you have the dream to do something else, but you don't have the intentionality to do it, to get out of it. And on the converse side, you have the security of a you know abundance place, but you're not enjoying the benefits of that abundant place because your brain is somewhere else, right? There's many reasons why someone would not take the leap. Um, and I think what's best for each person is just really understand why you're doing what you're doing and being intentional about how you see yourself in the future because you can never turn back time. This is the only life you have. So need to choose the path that you won't regret in the future. I think that's what I optimize for. And I think a lot of people are doing that as well. And it takes a bit of courage to get out of your comfort zone. But I think it's totally worth it if you're willing to take a bet on yourself. Yeah, amazing. And, you know, talking about taking a bet on yourself, one thing I've noticed is that you've had a lot of people make a bet on you, right? <laughs> you know, so Paul Akia, someone who you reached out and got help from. There's a whole bunch of different mentors that you got help from as well. So I'm just kind of curious about your role models uh, or the people who have helped you along the way to get there. I've been super lucky to have people who uh, give me, who have given me the opportunity to be where I am today. You know, my first career at the central bank, I don't know how I got it. Um, I mean, I didn't really prepare for anything and they were kind enough to take me in. And throughout my career, specifically the people who got me into VC, Paul Arc, Paul Veer did ticket at Pantera, Shil Monat at 500. Like they're all very, very successful in their own respective career. And I think what they taught me is to pay it forward to other people who are aspiring um, young people and, and one half a career uh, in tech as well. So Recently, I've been doing a mentorship program for women where I mentor women who are in their first job um, just or just out of college in terms of how to think about career and be the sounding board, which has been a really rewarding experience. I have one mentee in Hong Kong who is looking for a VC job in Singapore, and I've been talking to her for the past year. And that helped me pay it forward and be open to serendipity that happens along the way as well. Like a few weeks ago, a high school student, high school, mind you, 17 years old, called me and said, LinkedIn messaged me first, asking me for a call. And I was like, okay, sure, let's hop on a call. And she asked me like, oh, what do I, uh, what should I do in order to get into tech? What is your career like? And what are the steps that I need to take? And she was freaking 17. I was like, when I was 17, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. And, you know, just being open to a serendipity meeting like that is something that I treasure a lot because that's how, you know, this like little magic happen and you kind of be able to kind of impact someone's life in a very small way. But I think anyone can do it, just being open-minded and open to kind of share your experience um, to people who might need it and you don't even know. It's interesting as well because I remember I was at UC Berkeley and I was like being asked to be a guide for all these like elementary middle school kids and they were asking me about how to get to UC Berkeley and I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. you all are like born after year 2000, right? <laughs> <laughs> and like <laughs> and I'm like <laughs> and I'm like why are you asking these questions you know and you know I and I think one interesting thing is like with the internet and everything like 
I too myself have gotten some messages from middle school students asking about VC, right? And I'm like, <laughs> and I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I don't even, they don't call it millennials anymore. That shows how old we are now. I think there's something else, Gen Z, you know? It's, uh, I mean, here's the question I have, right? Which is like, look at all these people and helping. Like, what do you think it's important right like because you know you've been you know been coached and mentored by so many great folks right uh, i guess with by two pauls in your life <laughs> yeah i don't know what my life has to do with a lot of calls <laughs> i know maybe in the future i gotta like name something or someone after paul uh, and then now you're also paying it forward i think what forms of coaching was more do you think are more i want to say helpful maybe a more resonant are there certain forms of coaching that i don't want to say better or maybe better you know versus are there some forms of coaching or styles that you feel are less helpful or less productive that's a good point i think at least for me personally i learn in a few way one is observe so i think it's very powerful when i get to sit in in meetings with the partners and have a chance to debrief with them post meeting on what they think the company is and share my point of view and learn from their point of view I think that is a way to learn and accumulate the way you think and analyze company as a VC, right? Um, so I think shadowing is really important, especially for VC, which is an apprentice, apprenticeship model where you really need to follow the partners everywhere and, and, and kind of shadow them. So that was the first one. And two is being thrown in the deep end, I think. Paul V and both Paul R, Paul V, Shield, like they all did that to me, like give me really tough assignment and give me the full autonomy to operate and do it and let me just do it, right? Because being thrown in deep and not knowing what I was doing, that was like I had to like really get myself up to par in terms of my knowledge, my my um, and, and analysis and things like that. For example, when I was joining Paul V at, at Pantera, I knew what blockchain was like, but I wasn't really in the industry for a long time, right? Because people who are really into blockchain in San Francisco, they usually would have heard or been in the space since 2011, 2012. I just got into the blockchain space in 2017, but I worked at Pantera in 2018. So I was very new. And he was just expected me to like work on different deals. For example, this deal where the company was trying to mimic an arbitration process in law into the smart contract. And I really had to figure out if that was legally possible, it was feasible or not. So I had to pull, like, pull a lot of strings, ask my lawyer friend, um, talk to my professor at Northwestern, and like really think through, bring in like this knowledge about legality to blockchain and how smart contract works to really ramp up my understanding in the space and, and um, you know be scrappy enough to figure things out. That was really hard. And like he keeps throwing me projects and deals like that until I was able to kind of, okay, now I know what the space is like. I have a bit of fundamental knowledge to do analysis. So it was like being thrown in a deep end, that helps a lot because it helps you learn so much in so little time. So I think two things following that answer is one, you learn from shadowing, especially in a VC, in a VC world where you have to shadow the partner. And I think that accumulates over time. And two, you learn from like being thrown in a deep end and just, be comfortable with not knowing how to get to the answer, but kind of be creative enough to like figure out how to get to the answer. And that helps you kind of build foundational knowledge in different vertical, different sectors um, and kind of repeat that learning model every time you see a new deal. That's been very helpful, especially at Monsil, where it's a sector agnostic fund. And I need to kind of relearn new industry in every deal. And, and we're looking at, you know, seven, eight deals a week, which is crazy amount of deals so the process of learning you really really need to kind of be proficient with the process of learning essentially so i think both shadowing and relearning and and being thrown in the deep end has helped a lot yeah that's really true definitely agree with you about the apprenticeship models being really important and also quite crazy right because it's not i mean how many industries in the world are there where it's really defined as apprenticeship model there's very few, right? Yeah, and I think that's where, where value accrues, right? Um, if you look at Naval Ravikant, the prominent angel investor and serial entrepreneur in the U.S., where he talks a lot about 
career capital, and there is few career that uh, you can accumulate wealth on. And it's usually a career where you have leverage, and leverage usually comes from either code where you can scale something for a lot of people, or it comes from leverage as a capital where you take people's capital and kind of like invest and generate returns based on that, or leverage from hiring other people. And I think. For you as a person, you kind of have to figure out what leverage it is because if you do things that other people can do, then you're not really standing out. And VC is one of the one of the career where you can't really excel by doing what other people is doing. Really, need to like be different. And I think the learning comes from experience of shadowing others, experience from building your own point of view, and all that. All these things. There's no framework for you to learn. It's not like a book like consulting where you know you have to do X, Y, and Z to be good in this career. You know, it's a bit more unstructured. Yeah, it's very true. You know, it's interesting you mentioned Naval. Like, what? So, what do you what do you read? Like, you know, do you read Naval Twitter? Like, how do you what do you learn? What do you read? Consume? What do you consume? Um, I love Naval a lot. Uh, and if uh, if you don't if you're not familiar with him, I would really recommend this. Digital book called the Almanac of Naval Ravikant. It's like the writer just accumulates all of Naval's Twitter tweets about life, wealth, and health, um, and accumulated into a book. I think that was very useful. Other two books that I really like. Uh, one is So Good They Can't Ignore You by Cal Newport. I think when you want really want to be good at something, have to put in the hours, right? Like there's no shortcut, and there's no such thing as passion because I think. Passion comes from hard work and really, really hone in your skill to be good at what you do. And last book is another book that I like. The last one is "How You Measure Your Life" by uh, Harvard professor. Um, what's his name? Can't remember from the top of my head. But the book is called "How You Measure Your Life." At the end of the day, it comes from like being intentional in what you do and having a, a well-rounded and balanced life between work, health, and wealth. I think these are. Like the th- three things that I strive for, and I'm like trying to learn how to balance it all, which is not that easy. <laughs> wow, I love those three books. Uh, I have not read those first two books, so I need to definitely uh, read the uh, Almanac. Although, uh, of course, I follow some of the tweets, and then I definitely I've heard about Cal Newport because I think he's also wrote a book on deep work. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So that's the other one I've heard. Same writer. So I need to read these two books as well. But you know, one thing is funny because you say how to measure your life. That's one of my books that I really, really love. I love it too. I love it so much. Yeah, exactly. As well, it's great. Two colleagues discovering they love the same book. Great. Clearly, we don't hang out enough in at work. Maybe we should do a book club. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we should do a book club. Yeah, you know, it's by Professor. Because you don't remember the author, it was by Professor Clayton Christensen. Right, 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 right. Who is most famous for creating the word disruption, which every VC loves and every founder loves. And a funny story was, I didn't learn about the word disruption. About I didn't know Clayton Christensen for disruption. I knew him because I read How to Measure Your Life, and I read that book first. And that was like, I must have read that book at least four times now over the years. And I keep rediscovering the book. You know if that makes sense? Like, like when I was reading it as a you know, senior, it was a very different book from how I read it as a young professional versus where I am today, right? And, you know, I knew about him because he wrote the book. And it was only like years later when I was at doing my Harvard MBA that I was like, oh, he's also famous globally <laughs> for disruption and all this other stuff. But if it was interesting was if you asked him and you said like, what book did you like? Because I, I got to meet him, shake his hand and everything. Hey, yeah. And you know, you ask him like which book did he like really you know find like meaningful? It's weird because he was like how to measure your life was the more meaningful book <laughs> you know, to him <laughs> than than disruption, right? Which is crazy because you know, like the whole tech industry, the whole VC industry is predicated on disruption. So all of us would be like, we know him for for the word disruption and obviously the innovator's dilemma. But he knows himself for how to measure your life which is crazy and you know he passed away recently uh which is a big shame and everything he was so loved by all the students and everything is this a you know interesting thing where he found you know that book more compelling right you know than than what he's world famous for which is i think a good way to like it's something to think about a lot right over like 
my past career, I think I was really work-driven um, in my 20s. But then I think this phase of my career, I know that there are other aspects of life as well. And I kind of try to figure out how best to balance work with other things, um, things that make you happy, things that make you healthy, um, and accumulate wealth along the way. Like these things, like no one teaches you off the book, right? Like it's not taught in school or in uni. So I learned a lot from reading books written by these like successful people who actually were very intentional and thoughtful about how they want to lead their life. And yeah, I think it's like a very, a very valuable place to learn, especially when it's not that prevalent. It's like something that you can't really learn elsewhere. or There's no one teaching you about it. Well, you know, we're coming up on time here, um, but obviously, the, and we will, you know, if you have some time, we'll let people be able to raise their hands and ask any questions. So if anybody wants to raise their hands, feel free to raise your hands and have some questions from the group audience if people want them. Nat, this quick question I have here is like, where were you 10 years ago? Oh my God. <laughs> you know, you just talk about teaching and guiding, right? What would you teach and guide yourself with the net of 10 years ago? Yeah. I think I had this tendency similar to you where I kind of need to plan. I want to plan my life out like 10 years from now if possible. But if I look back to my confused self 10 years ago, starting off my career, I would say that everything will be okay and just, you know, be patient and let, let life work its magic. Like you don't really need to like be in control of every single thing in life or like everything figure, have everything figured out because I think life is a lot of magical moments where you, don't, you can't really know where it will take you. So just be open to possibility and, you know, have trust in yourself that it will work out. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nat. I think we have quick time for if anybody wants to raise their hands, we can answer a few questions and then go from there. Does anybody want to raise their hands? There you go, Paul. We want to chat to you. Someone that you helped along the way. <laughs> I'm going to make one comment because I just looked at your profile and there's nothing there. And I'm really surprised that you should at least, you should at least be putting your podcast on there because I know you spend so much time on it. it. It's some really good quality stuff that, frankly, you're just depriving your clubhouse audience <laughs> by not promoting it. So um, please get that up there because it is some really interesting conversations you have with some interesting folks. So, yeah, that's, that's all I'm going to say. But, but, but Nat, I, I, I'm going to say that you're, you're the last point about, that you made about you know, just not getting too wound up about controlling everything, kind of, kind of going with the flow of things, I think that, that's really important. And I know, you know, I, I know early on in, in, in kind of our, our you know, Kellogg relationship before you went off to school, you know, I know that you know, you're, you're fretting about every aspect of your journey. <laughs> and I know one of the things that I always kept trying to, you know, insinuate is like, it's just going to be okay. And, and, you know, I guess, you know, I think the way you said it reminded me of uh, an analogy I used once with uh, another person is that, you know, because I, I actually, for, for quite a long time after I left investment banking, you know, I was into sailing. I learned how to sail, which was something that was on my bucket list from my undergraduate days at Berkeley, I'll add. So Jeremy, go Bears. Um, but the thing about sailing is that, you know, a big part of it is out of your control. Cause you know, you kind of are as much as, you know, you're, you're operating, you know, your, your boat, you're, you're kind of at the mercy of the tides and the, and the wind. And so it's, it's a combination between having some measure of control over what you're doing, but also sort of shaping that around forces that you can't control. And when you find yourself at that moment where you get that wind and you're riding it, you know, it's, it's an adrenaline rush. And it's a combination of knowing that there are things that are out of your control and things that are within your control. And you just have to find that moment where, you know, the two converge. And so that, that's life. And if you can kind of come to peace with that, you know, I, I think, it, I think to, to Nat's point, it's magical. Well, thank you, Paul. You said it best. And, and for our audience who might not know, Paul has a fantastic and adventurous career. And I think I learned a lot about serenity and, you know, being in the flow from you, uh, from having a career in person who has a career in investment banking, go to tech, and then a VC. Um, you've definitely had an, a very fruitful career and, and a way to look at life. So thanks for that. Getting to play a role. 
in in sort of your career has been a real <laughs> it's been a real privilege you know it's uh, you know I, I know you're quite thankful to me but i'm actually quite thankful to you i you know i, I love you know kind of watching what you do uh you're doing some pretty cool shit pardon my <laughs> language uh no i you know and the thing you know the, the thing is the epiphanies that you're coming up with you know you're, you're arriving at, at epiphanies that you know i mean you're arriving at these epiphanies as you sort of are transitioning into your thirties. And it's like, those are kind of things that I didn't hit upon until much later in life. And so the fact that you're kind of arriving, you know, to these, these realizations so early on, just, you know, it, you know, because again, I think the whole fact that you're now starting to pay that forward to, you know, 17 year olds, you know, I, I don't think that when I was 30, I would be able to provide that same level of guidance to someone in high school. Because I hadn't arrived at that stage in my life yet, where uh, I had that 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 insight. So the fact that you've arrived at that point much earlier in your life and able to pay that forward much sooner in your career means that by the time you get to my age now, I can only imagine how much impact you're going to have on a much wider group of people. So I'm quite excited. Thank you, Paul. That means a lot. This isn't about me, so I'm just going to go quiet. I'm going to go back to stage and let someone else come on up. This is this is all about Nat. Yeah, all about Nat. And again, to plug her podcast is theventurejourney.com. Thanks, Jeremy. You know, it's like a great Thai and Southeast Asian uh, speakers and founders there. I really need to like get on this clubhouse game because I haven't put anything on my profile because I really never used it before. And this is like my formal first time. So thanks for for taking me on this journey. Okay, Nat. Uh, I think that's about it. I think everyone's pretty chill. Uh, I think a lot of people here have been hanging out for the whole hour and a bit to hear your story. Yeah, you guys are troopers. Thanks for staying with us. For everybody else, you know, this podcast will come out in about, you know, we have about three to four months of guests, so it's coming out in about four months. So if you really love this episode, tell your friends that to keep an eye out for it in four months. All right. Thank you so much, Nat. Thank you so much for having me, Jeremy. This has been a pleasure. And thanks everyone for listening and really appreciate you guys. Thank you for listening to Brave. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share this episode with friends and colleagues. Sign up at www.jeremyow.com to discuss this episode with other community members in our forum. Stay well and stay brave.